I have a question. What causes quarrels and fights among you? <laughs> you know what's crazy? You want to hear something crazy? Yes? yes? Love I'll tell you, okay? <laughs> Did you say I love crazy? Is that what you just crazy. said? <laughs> exactly a year ago this month, The elders and I determined that we were going to preach through the book of James, and just so happened, under extreme coincidence, that this Sunday, this sermon, where we're going to talk today, landed on today. I haven't, like, rearranged the book of James. We just planned it a year ago. We planned out the whole year. And the the Lord orchestrated us to be in James chapter 4, verse 1, dealing with the question of the morning, what causes quarrels and fights among you? We live in a very crazy time. Are you tired of hearing that yet? Um, you know, everybody is saying that, but it is, it's so true. We're living in a very tumultuous time. We're, we're living in a, in a violent time. We're living in a time when, because of the events surrounding our world, people are quarreling and fighting and warring against each other. And it doesn't seem to be getting better and better because we're people that are growing and growing in grace and growing in love and growing in tolerance. It seems to be getting worse and worse. I said this last week, that shouldn't surprise us because the scripture says that things are going to wax. It says it's gonna get worse and worse. It's not gonna get better and better. It just depresses me that thought that things are gonna get worse and worse. It it depresses me to be part of the human race where things are going, getting worse and worse, not better and better. I was talking to my mother-in-law this week and we were talking about how that she and my father-in-law, this is Robin's mom and dad, um, are are first-generation Christians and she was so... She was, she was here for a couple of days this week. Is so thankful to be able to spend time with her great-grandchildren and hear them talk about Jesus and hear them talk about their love for God and the love for other people. And I said, well, isn't that how it's supposed to go, Mom? Every generation is supposed to pass on righteousness and we're supposed to be getting better and better, right? Each generation gets closer and closer to God, closer and closer to each other, and better and better in the world. And so the world gets better and better, right? Doesn't every couple, when they get together and they join and they, they create their own family unit, isn't it their desire to make the world a better place through their family? Isn't that the human way? Isn't that what we're supposed But it just doesn't seem to be going that way out there. But James, in James chapter four, verse one, this is where we are this morning, okay? So hopefully you have your Bibles open to James chapter four. 
he's asking the question, he starts out by saying, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Now let me just tell you that this is a continuation. This discussion in the first part of chapter four that we're working on today is a continuation of James' treatment and discussion on the untamed beast that we all have in our mouths. That's this called this tongue that we have in our mouths, right? And how he's cautioning us, he's saying you've gotta be very careful and you've gotta be on the alert to manage your words and to watch your mouth. That's what my mom used to tell me, watch your mouth. You know, when I started to get sassy, she would always say, watch your mouth. You ever tried to watch your mouth? You know, I mean, how do you watch your mouth? But I knew what she meant. And I never was sarcastic back like that with her. I would have got my mouth slapped in those days. But some people have said that chapter four has been declared the crescendo of James' treatment on the tongue. But I want you to look at it closely in verse one, the first half of verse one, when he's asking, what is causing the quarrels and fights and what's the next two words? Among you. Among you. Who, who's he talking to? Believers. He's not talking to the unsaved and the unchurched. He's not looking at the world out there and saying, what's causing quarrels and fights among you? Well, that's easy to answer, right? I mean, we can go all day long in answering that, but that's not what he's doing. He is looking inside the church, and he is, remember, James is writing to the early church. This is the very first New Testament writing. And he's writing to these brand new believers who were saved in Jerusalem and have been scattered all over the world because of persecution, because of their faith. And so he's asking them, what is causing quarrels and fights among you in the church? Among us? Do we fight in the church? Come on. Come on, you've never heard, you've never seen a quarrel and a fight in the church, have you? If some of you are like nodding your head, right, yeah, yes, yes, we have. Others of you are just staring at me, and some of you don't want to admit that you have. And some of us, and I'm including myself, some of us have been the cause of those quarrels and fights within the church. The assumption is, on James' part, that there was in this early church, and I don't know, he doesn't tell us what they were quarreling and fighting about. I don't even, why would you be quarreling and fighting if your whole world has fallen apart, and you're scattered everywhere, and you've lost your jobs, and you've lost your home, and now you're scattered out throughout the whole area and the whole region under persecution and fear for your own lives, why would there be quarreling and fighting? Here's why, because Stress brings on, like problems bring on stress and tension. And we get to the point when we're under stress and tension and everything's falling apart that we begin to get selfish, right? We begin to get selfish and we begin to get ingrown in our minds and we begin to start protecting ourselves and what's mine and I wanna have what I wanna have and I want it now and get out of my way if you're getting in my way or you're thinking about getting in my way of what I want. Because that's what starts to happen. And so he's warning them, and therefore he's warning us. You have to understand that the scriptures are written back then to believers, and they were preserved to be written to us today. Yeah. So what is the cure 
for fighting and quarreling. That's what we're gonna work on today. I've titled the sermon, The Antidote for a Church in Conflict. We've been hearing a lot about virus, uh, the virus, and we've been hearing a lot about vaccines. We're not talking about a vaccine. He is not giving us a vaccine here because a vaccine is the process of giving you a little bit of the disease to help your body develop an immunity so that you won't get the disease. You understand that? Okay. James isn't talking about not getting the disease of infighting because he knows we already have the disease. And we need the antidote, and an antidote is a remedy to counteract the effects of poison in the body. I want you to know, my friends, and we're going to see it today, James wants us to fully be aware that the poison is already in us. We don't need a vaccine to help us from getting it. We need an antidote to help us get over it and to deal with the thing that's already inside of us. Look at verse one again. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Here, here he, he actually answers the question with a question. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are warring within you? Do I really, really, folks, do I need to go into any detail explaining that? Do you, you get that, right? You get what he's talking about that there. You get it whenever he says that by his very nature, human beings fight. That's what's inside each one of us. We see it all around us, don't we? And he's using these two words, quarreling and fighting, but in the Greek language, it's warring and battling. And so it's got like, what's, what's going on in the church is we got these big wars going on and we've got these individual battles that are going on and it's coming from something that's battling inside of each one of us because that's what we do. I remember the day, back in the day, you know, we have a Christian school, it's Elkhart Christian Academy and do you remember when it was Elkhart Baptist Christian School, E-B-C-S, and I remember going to the games and the cheerleaders were all cute and they were out there doing their cheers and the cheerleaders would, would be like, E-B-C-S, we are the best. And I used to think, okay, I get it, we're cheering, this is school spirit and everything, but aren't we, we're Christians, right? <laughs> Christians aren't supposed to be going around going, E-B-C-S, we are the best, and then have in your chant, go, fight, win. <laughs> right? I mean, we would, they would go up to the stands and they would be like, go, and we were supposed to go, go, and we were going to go fight, and we were supposed to go fight, and they would go win, we were supposed to go win, go, fight, win, and the other team's going, no, we're gonna fight, and we're gonna win, and we're gonna keep on winning, winning, winning. That's my political statement for the morning. And we're going to keep on fighting, 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 and we're gonna keep on battling, 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 because that's what we do. Because we wanna be on top, and we wanna be the best, and we want what we want. And there is this thing battling inside of us that comes out of us onto everybody around us. The reason that we're warring and that we're fighting on the outside James wants us to know, is because we are warring 
on the inside. There is something happening inside of us, and it's a battle that is being waged. And it's the battle between good and evil. And what it is is this. My natural sinful bent in life, my natural desires are always fighting against the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's speaking to Christians. And Christians possess the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God has desires for us. And he has his will that he wants to impose on us. And he's expecting us to submit our wills to him. But we don't. And so what's happening inside of us is we've got this conflict going inside where I want to do what I want to do. I want what I want, and I want it right now. And the Spirit is saying, no, you don't. That's not what you want. This is what you want. I know what's best for you. And so we've got a war waging inside of us that ends up coming outside of us because we've been hearing the last couple of weeks that what's inside our heart is what will come out of our mouths. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, look at it with me, describes this battle. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Anybody want to deny that? This is what it is, right? This is how it is. Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting or are constantly in conflict with each other. Do you see? Can you see what's going on inside of us? We want to do whatever we want to do. And we want to get whatever we want to get. And those desires put us in conflict with God. The battle going on inside of us is because our desires are in conflict with the Spirit's desires. And the Spirit is living inside of each one of us and works as our righteous conscience and is constantly leading us and guiding us and convicting us towards righteousness, which is the opposite of our sinful bent. It has been said, if I was more at peace in my inner man, I'd be more at peace with my fellow man. See, the Christian goes to battle with the spirit and then goes to battle with his brother when his inner desires are denied and disrupted. When God, the Holy Spirit, or someone else or something else gets in the way and tries to stop us from going down the path of the fulfillment of our own desires, we immediately suit up for battle and we will fight until we get what we want and it doesn't matter who we're fighting against, we will fight until we get our way and our path back on the path of our desires that we were derailed from by either someone or something or the Holy Spirit because the conflict is inside of us. Isaiah 53, six says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to what? Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna tell you anything you don't already know today. I'm not giving you any like special inspiration like you guys won't believe it I, I I uncovered something I've never heard before that's not gonna happen today and you're gonna sit here 
And some of you are already falling asleep, so you don't know that I can see you up here, and you're already falling asleep um, because you had a big day yesterday. I get it. The weather's awesome. But James has something very strong that we need to understand, that if there's going to be peace in the church, there's got to be peace in your heart. Do you know why we're so lost and why we're so messed up and why we're so broken? Do you know why we are so hopelessly depraved? It's because we all, every single one of us, want our own way all the time. We're very selfish people. And no one had to teach you that. It's not like you're a product of your parents and they were so selfish, so you're so selfish. That is not the case. And anybody who's ever had a child knows that. I mean, coming out, just please, I know, I'm I'm gonna disclaimer everything here, okay? Babies are beautiful, babies are cute, babies are wonderful, babies are a gift from God, babies are, your baby is the most beautiful baby that's ever been born and needs to be on the Gerber commercial. Now that I've said all that, your baby comes out of the womb a selfish little brat. I mean, show me a kid that doesn't come out of the womb kicking and screaming, I want what I want, and I want it right now. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to punish you. All night long for like 20 weeks until you give me what I want, right? Okay, don't take my word for it. Listen to 1926. I've, 1926, the Minnesota Crime Commission wrote a statement concerning the children in the state of Minnesota. They have a problem up there that no one else has with children. And here's what they write. Every baby starts life as a little savage. (laughs) He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless He's dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. Now, this did not come out of First Baptist Church of Minneapolis. This wasn't some pastor who wrote this. This isn't some denomination that wrote this. This is the Minnesota Crime Commission on Children in Minnesota. But all these things you can find right in Scripture, including the proverb that says, a child left to himself will come to ruin Okay, just relax, because it's coming. Most of us grow up (sighs) 
but almost all of us are still little babies who've just learned some grown-up skills. And when we don't get our way, instead of throwing ourselves to the ground and pitching a fit, kicking and screaming until our mommies give us what we want, we've acquired a whole sophisticated arsenal of verbal weapons that we go to war with and we do it against each other. And we're talking about the church here. Yeah, we know what happens out in the world. And unfortunately, in most cases, we bring those weapons against those we love the most. And isn't it odd that the people that we love the most get the worst of us. I've often mused on that in my own world, in my own thought. There, I say things to Robin. I've said things to my kids that I would never say to you. I would never say to anybody else. And they're hateful things. why they write songs like you always hurt the ones you love the ones you'd never hurt at all in a in a moment when you're not being selfish you would never think about hurting those that you love and those who are closest to you and yet when the selfish switch gets turned on when we decide we need what we need and we want what we want and we're going to have what we want to have it doesn't matter who it is we will tear them apart to get it. He explains why we're like this in verse two, the second part of verse two. He says, you want what you don't have. So you scheme. Now, these are heavy words, you guys. You scheme and kill to get it. Some of your versions would say you murder. That is actually the right word. You will scheme and you will murder to get what you don't have. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war. What? To do what? To take it away from them. Like little kids, we just want more and more, and we want what others have. And as adults, we, we, we're doing the same thing we've been doing our whole life. We're just doing it in a grown-up sandbox now. And we have all kinds of sophisticated ways to attack people who aren't giving us what we want. It's a major problem. So you want what you don't have, James says, so you scheme and kill to get it. What's he talking about? I have hesitated all week to talk about this because I feel like I'm in danger all the time of talking about it too much, but there's cert there are certain things that are very real to me. And as I studied this, I'm sitting in my office and I'm, 
and I'm working on, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Pastor Serafino knows about this because not too long ago, their son Ryan was at home with his girlfriend and the ex-boyfriend came in and he desired to have his old girlfriend and not have Ryan be in the relationship and so he pulls out a gun and kills Ryan to get what he wants. He was so conflicted inside of what he wanted and what he didn't have that he was willing to kill to get it. David Artley, Glenn Artley's son, was in a bar where there was a guy who was demanding his rights and demanding what he wanted. And when he was denied what he wanted, he got violent. And when they tried to calm him down, he pulled out a gun and began shooting people and killed David Artley because he wasn't getting his way and he wasn't getting what he wanted. There was such a conflict going on inside of him that he wasn't getting what he wanted and so he was willing to go out and do whatever it takes to get what he wanted and in that case it was respect. Our daughter Amanda Three men walked into her house and they wanted TVs. They were, they were stealing electronics. They were part of a gang that steal electronics. That's what they were doing. They broke into the house. They were gonna steal the TVs and the computers and whatever else is in there and get out. That's what they did. But when they found out that she was home and they saw her purse, they desired more. It wasn't enough to just go in and take what was not theirs that they did not have and take those TVs. They wanted more. So they rifled through her purse, they took her credit cards, they took her, her um, church credit card and her debit card and they, they beat her until they got the pin numbers out of her and then two of the men took the cards and they went down to the bank and they left one guy there to watch her while they were going down to the bank to withdraw all the money that they could out because they needed more, they wanted more. And so they were scheming along the way and they were, they were doing what we all do. We all want more that we don't have. And so while they were gone, the one guy that was left wanted to have his way with Amanda and when she refused to give it to him, he killed her. And I just need you to know, my friends, that if we don't keep ourselves in check, This is the end game. This is the end result of wicked, sinful desires that are waging war inside of us. We're Christians we're talking about here. And James is saying, James knows, by the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit of God working through James, he wants you to know that you can kill in order to get what you want if you don't keep your desires in check. That's what will result 
If our hunger for more is given full reign to run wild, this is what we will turn into. Schemers and killers. Okay. Right now you're going, that's not true, Phil. No way. It will never go that far. Let me tell you something. I've been around this thing way too long, I think. Because I have sat in my office, I have sat with people who had this desire so strong in them, opposite of the Holy Spirit. And they were willing to murder their marriage because of their selfishness. They have been willing to murder their reputations. They have been willing to murder the name of Jesus Christ because of all that they wanted inside of them that was so strong that they couldn't bring it under the submission of the Holy Spirit of God. So don't tell me that this stuff doesn't scheme and kill. You may never have murdered anybody, but I'll guarantee you, you've murdered a relationship or two. It happens, my friends, in the church of Jesus Christ. And this is a huge warning for all of us. Look at the second half of verse two. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. I can go all kinds of directions with this. I just want to pick this one out. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. What he's saying is, if you would go to God, you'd get what you really want. You're looking for what you think you want and your desires from everybody else out there except the one who can really give it to you. Look at what he says. Verse three, even when you ask, you don't get because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And he says, you adulterers? I mean, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? You don't have because you don't ask God, and when you ask, you're asking with the wrong motives. You're an adulterer. (laughs) That's exactly the word that James is using here. Now, what's adultery? Adultery is taking what doesn't belong to you because you saw it and then you liked it and then you desired to have it and so you went and took it even if it cost you all that you once held dear. That's adultery. But in this case, adultery is trying to get from people which you can only get from God. God calls that adultery. I am your source. I am your God, I am your Lord, I am the provider of all things good. And you're out there in the world seeking for all these things that you think you need, and when you go out there to find it and you don't come to me for it, you're in adultery with the world. And I'm not okay with that, God says. We're walking around a lot of times like beggars with empty hands, looking for pleasure and looking for 
prestige and looking for popularity and looking for power and trying to find satisfaction and trying to find love and trying to find exception from other people and from the things in the world and we refuse to go to the only true lasting source of all of those things that we say that we want and say that we need. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for love in too many faces. You're you're dipping from and drinking from the wrong well, the well that the world has to offer you and it is so tainted and you're drinking from that nasty water instead of drawing from the living water that will quench, Jesus says, your every thirst. God calls it adultery. And when that happens, we are acting like the enemies of God. Look at verse four. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. He wants to say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, let me just tell you this, okay? Let me just... I wish we had all kinds of time, but I don't, okay? So I just have to get to it. Christians can't be enemies of God. That's not what James is saying here, okay? That you, you used to be an enemy, then you became a friend, now you're an enemy of God again. Christians can't be enemies of God. We're his children, okay? And Jesus calls us his friends. But this is what James wants us to understand. As a believer, when you choose to be a friend of the world, What you're doing is you're choosing to revert back to the attitudes and behaviors you had when you were unsaved and truly enemies of God and children of your father the devil. That's what he's saying here. When you and I choose in our pride to follow and be friends once again with the world system, then we choose to go to war with God. To be in a warring conflict with the God of the universe, my friends, is a very bad idea. You will always lose. But how many people have you known that thumb their noses at God and thumb their noses at his truth and say, I'm going to have what I want. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to say whatever I want to say and I don't care about the consequences. That kind of person is a fool. And those people always turn around and they mourn the total destruction of everything that they love in their lives. And they're like, what happened? Well, you stupid, you went up against God. You became his enemy again. That's not okay. You're a fool to go up against God. Look at verse six. The scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Are you listening? Are you listening? (laughs) Um, Pride is not the path to peace. And peace is what Jesus wants for his church. That was the last thing on his mind before he died on the cross. Make them one, Lord, and help them live in peace with each other. All through the scripture you find that that's his desire for his church. Verse five is hard to work out, so I'm just gonna, it says the scriptures say that God is jealous 
and the spirit that he has placed within us should be faithful to him. What he's basically saying is this. You can go in and study this. There's all kinds of weird things you have to do to get the full meaning out of this. He's basically saying the spirit that he made to dwell in us as believers jealously desires to control us. That's what he's saying in verse five. So who's got control of your life? Who's got control of your thoughts? Who's got control of your desires? Who's winning the conflict inside? If it's you, in your pride, then you're toast. God's lining up against you. God is going to oppose you. You don't want that. I don't want to be in that spot. And if you will stop with the warring and you will give in to the spirit, if you will humble yourself, the scripture says, then you will receive grace and you'll receive more grace, abundant grace, pouring into your life and over your life and overflowing grace is what you will get from the Lord if you just humble yourself. And just think about a whole church full of humble people, truly humble people. How much grace would be emulating and that's not the word I want to say. How much grace would be, what am I trying to say? Would, would be like glowing from this place. How, my, how much grace would be overflowing out of this place because we're being overflowed with grace in our own lives just because we've humbled ourselves. Pride brings God's wrath and pride brings God's opposition, but humility brings God's grace. Humility is where you find peace with God, where you find peace with yourself, and where you find peace with each other. Man, doesn't the world need a good dose of that? Write this down somewhere. Humility is a fire extinguisher to the flames of conflict. I'm gonna wrap this up in the next couple of minutes with some characteristics of humility, which is basically the antidote. Humility is the antidote to conflict in the church. And here they are in verse seven through nine. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you when you do. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's not a good thing. So verse nine, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. This is the path to humility. The first is submit to God. That's choosing to surrender our will to his will. Stop the inner conflict. It's saying, I give up. I'm going to stop demanding and desiring my will, Lord, and I'm going to give in to your control. So we submit to God. That's the first step to humility. The second step is resist the devil. We choose to stop with the inner battle with the Holy Spirit, and then we declare war on Satan. That's what it means. Stop resisting God. Resist Satan, because you know, right, that he has a plan to disrupt your life and to screw your life up. To resist him is to stand up to him 
and to stand against his ways and to stand against his will for your life. The scripture is clear, my friends, that he is looking for someone to devour on a regular basis, and we are not supposed to be ignorant of his schemes. His schemes to derail us, his schemes to throw us into chaos, his, his schemes to divide the church. Here's some good news. You want some good news? Here's some good news. James tells us when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. You know why he will flee from us? Because he has to flee from us. Because every one of us who are children of God possess the spirit of God, and where the spirit of God, the light of Christ is, darkness always has to flee. And so if you, if you go around in your inner man, you go around like serving yourself, you go around getting all your desires, and you resist the Holy Spirit of God, you're living in darkness. And darkness can't fight darkness. You'll lose every time. The only way to find Satan, to fight Satan, the only way to resist him is to deny yourself, submit to the Holy Spirit, and stand up to the devil. And when you do, James says, he'll flee from you. Amen. He has to flee. Yes. That's good news. Bottom line, give in to your new Lord, Jesus Christ. And stand against your old one, Satan, and lock him out of your life. You do know that you can give him footholds. Ephesians chapter four says, don't let your anger last. Deal with your anger today because if you don't, you'll give Satan a foothold. Well, that's what we're talking about, conflict. So submit to God, resist the devil. Here's the next thing, come close to God. And he says he will come close to you. Look at 2 Chronicles 29. When you call on me, he says, and you come and pray to me, I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Some of us need to get close to God. Come close to God. And then the next thing is to repent and change our hearts. The terminology he uses is wash your hands. That's confession. Confession of your sin, confession of your wrong. You go to God, you come close to God and you confess your sin before him and purify your hearts. That's, that's applying God's word and let the word wash over those negative things in your life, those, that dirty part of you, abandoning your old ways. He says, stop being a friend of the world system and let godly sorrow fill your soul. This is the, this is the key, this is the fruit of repentance that you can find in 2 Corinthians 7. This is the way of humility, my friends. This is the posture of humility. Submission, resisting, come close to God, repent, and turn and change. And when you do, James 4.10, when you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up in honor. Peter says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of the mighty hand of God, under the mighty hand of God, under his will. Submit yourself to him, and he will exalt you. He will honor you and your life. This is the antidote for conflict in the church. Uh, would you stand with me and let's pray. you just go ahead and bow your head uh, and just you and your spirit right now listen to 
to me. Um, Lord, I'm just asking your Holy Spirit to show us where we need to change and show us what needs to be adjusted because it's going to be different for all of us. There's like a hundred different ways we can respond to this. But we have to respond to this. Because every one of us, there's not one person sitting here with a smug look on their face today saying, wow, well, there's one I don't have to think about. There's a message that doesn't apply to me. Because it applies to every single one of us. But for some of us, let me, let's just say this, okay? For some of us, you're in the middle of conflict in the church right now. You're in the middle of some kind of conflict, some kind of battle. You're warring with somebody. And Jesus is not okay with that. And I would encourage you, please, God is crying out. The Holy Spirit is crying out to you today to humble yourself Confess that to the person that you're warring with or the people that you're warring with. Repent of it and turn from it. And like James said, weep and mourn over the fact that you have become a tool of Satan to divide the church. Some of you are wrestling in your spirit and you're constantly at conflict with the Spirit of God in your life because you are leaning all the time into the world system and you're trying to find love and satisfaction. You're self-indulged and you're going out, you're chasing it in the wrong way and today you need to say, you just need to take a stand and some of you might need to come to the front today at the end of the service and just get on your knees and, and just pour your heart out to the Lord. Make a public stand today. Do something to say, I'm not going to do I'm going to submit myself to the Lord. I'm going to stop with the conflict, the inner conflict, so that I can be at peace inside, but I can also be at peace with everyone around me. Humility is the antidote. To conflict. And some of you, I just need to, you to hear me clearly, and those of you online, I hope that you're really listening right now because there are some I know in this room and online that you're at conflict with God because you don't know the Lord. The Bible says that if you, outside of Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then you're at odds with God. You're enemies of the Lord. And that's not his desire for you. His desire for you is to be at peace with him. And the same humility that it takes Christians to go and fix things with the Lord and go and fix things with their brothers and sisters in Christ is what you need to do. The same humility is what you need to exercise to admit that you're a sinner and to come before the Lord and accept his free gift of grace and love for you and repent of your sin and turn from your sin and accept him to be the Lord of your life. 
That's called salvation. That's called being born again. And you can do that today. And we would love to help you with that. If you're in the building here, just come to the front. Don't walk out of here without humbling yourself and accepting God's free gift of salvation for you. We will have people here at the front to help you with whatever it is you need to do, but we all have some work to do. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us do that work. Because our world is falling apart. And they desperately need a unified church to bring the love and unity to the brokenness that's all around us. And so the work has to start here. So please do the work with us and help us grow in love and respect and honor for each other. Because it is by our great love that we have for each other that the world will know that we are your followers. So help us with that. And help us to resist the evil one and protect us from his attack. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Please take advantage of our people down here, okay? Our prayer team that's gonna be down here. But let's go out and be the church that God wants us to be in love and unity with each other. God bless you as you're dismissed.